It's time for the LaneCast with Montana's very own Talkin' Ag, Lane Nordland, your voice for agriculture. Hello, everyone. It's time for the Agriculture Conversation on the LaneCast Ag Podcast. And we're actually going to have multiple agriculture conversations in a smorgasbord show. We have three guests that will be joining us here today. The first will be discussing the real first test of the 2021 calf market with Superior Livestock Auction hosting the Corn Belt Classic this past week. We'll catch up with Superior Rep Clint Berry, who will talk about the calf prices that exceeded everyone's expectations. Also, U.S. Senator Steve Daines from Montana will be phoning in from Washington, D.C., discussing topics like the Biden administration's efforts to resurrect the Obama-era 2015 Waters of the U.S. rule, ongoing cattle market investigations important to everyone in the livestock business, along with developments with pulse crop trade with the nation of India. We will then finally wrap up our conversations with U.S. Wheat Associates Vice President of Policy Dalton Henry. He'll be shedding light on how aircraft subsidy battles between the U.S. and European Union led to tariffs on U.S. non-Durham wheat being sent to the EU and how an agreement has been reached between the EU and the U.S. to lift those tariffs. A lot of great topics being covered today, and we'll be back talking about the calf markets with Clint Berry after these words. NCBA is leading the fight for the rights of cattle and beef producers across the nation. From leading the charge to protect the cattle industry from the impacts of COVID-19 and delivering CFAP relief for cattle producers, NCBA is working for you each and every day. NCBA is seeking new opportunities for profitability for cattle producers and protecting you from government overreach. If you're a member, we thank you for your support. If you're not a member, we'd like you to join us. Just call 1-866-BEEF-USA or visit ncba.org to join today. Uh, joining us right now is Clint Berry. He's one of the top reps for Superior Livestock Productions across the nation. And Clint, the Corn Belt Classic just wrapped up. It was a one-day sale this year. Uh, what was the room like, I guess, Clint, uh, once these uh, lighter weight calves started to sell? And uh, what were some of your clients feeling? Well, thank you, Lane. I appreciate the chance to join you today and visit a little bit. Yeah, we had a big day here in South Sioux City, Nebraska. Uh, normally, we're out of Council Bluff, but uh, still facing a few COVID issues at the host casino that was down there. So we moved up here. Great venue on the lake. Had a big turnout. Buyers, uh, a lot of farmer feeder and buyers from the, the area here that were in attendance with us today. It was a long day. We sold 52000 today. Um, it's a little after 7 o'clock Central Time and finally wrapped the auction up. So it was a long day, but just packed full of optimism. You know, I don't have the official numbers, but, I mean, my gut tells me sitting there watching that our feeders were probably five to seven bucks heavier, and the vast majority of those feeders will be basically what we call immediate delivery. So they're going to ship, say, within the next four weeks. That would be a, a, a portion of the ones we sold today. But then we, you know, first first big summer sell of the season, this is kind of our kickoff event when we start selling what we call fall delivery calves. And those are calves born in the spring, um, you know, and, and typically out of mid, you know, Midwestern to Northern climates and shipping in the fall. So a lot of, a lot of calves that were, you know, February, March, April, or March, April, May, that are going to ship in October and November to their new homes. We sold a big jag of them today and really kind of set that market and, while you don't have anything to directly compare to, because this is the first big run we've had, 
I would tell you these cattle out probably outperform my expectations by eight or ten bucks a hundred. And uh, just a ton of optimism. Corn was down on the board a little bit today, which didn't hurt, but live cattle were down too today. So, I mean, even though the board may have not went in the direction we wanted in some aspects, the optimism in the room from the buyers and was ecstatic, and it was just a great auction. I mean, just one of the stoutest ones we've had in a long time, and I just applaud our buyers for, for having a confidence in our customers' cattle and our customers for allowing us to market their cattle on the world's biggest market, and it, it just turned out to be a great day all the way around. Now, Clint, a lot of concerns uh, from folks. Obviously, corn markets are on the top of people's minds as those feed prices go higher. Uh, there's a lot of concerns, obviously, with, with drought up in my neck of the woods and across the West. Uh, this this is hopefully uh, uh, going to give a little more confidence uh, to uh, folks that are going to be uh, uh, selling cattle on the video auctions. Uh, what What is your – do you think we're going to see more – uh, early fall deliveries, and how is that going to impact the market uh, as the drought worsens across uh, the region? What What is your suggestion to all your loyal customers out there? Well, and I mean, the, the, the first thing that everybody's got to, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, but the first thing everybody's got to remember is we're talking about drought. You know, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're in drought in every single area, and you got to plan for the worst and, and make do with, you know, the best you can. So, I mean, there's some things that are out of our control, you know, and so, sometimes that's cattle that are going to come in lighter than anticipated. Sometimes in drought years, it hardens the grass up and they actually come in heavier. That a lot of that has, but I mean, we're, we're going to have a lot of customers that are faced with some tough decisions. I, uh, all day long, I sat on the phone talking the buyers that were calling in bidding on cattle and, and i can't tell you how many of them started the conversation talking about how dry it was in their part of the country so it's a pretty widespread area um and there's parts of the country that they can't understand it because they're they're sopping in mud wet you know still but the majority is facing drought or drought off you know the potential of drought absolutely and guys are worried about what the corn crop is going to be you know and hence the reason but over the last 30 days, you've seen that run up like that. But, you know, it, it, it's one of them one of them things we're all going to have to work through, and every outfit's going to be a little different. You know, some that are overstocked are going to be in real trouble. Some that are, you know, understocked, they may, you know, they may come out pretty well and not have to sacrifice it. it it's going to depend a little bit everywhere. But, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't face some lighter calves if, in fact, the drought does hold throughout the year. Um but like I said, in some areas, you know, there's a lot of times in the years where we dry up, there's a, there, and there's a fine line between being dry and being droughted. There, there is a fine line there. But, you know, when that grass hardens up, it has a little extra punch, and a lot of times our calves come in a little heavier too. But each outfit's going to kind of have to work through that. You know, the buyers are, are, chased, are faced with a challenge of trying to figure out what their feed costs are actually going to be when they buy a calf today to come in November that doesn't die till August, you know, or something like yeah. that. Well, again, that uh, next week I know is that tall grass uh, auction, which is uh, mainly online. But the week in the Rockies will be coming up that uh, first full week of July. I know folks yep. are, are probably pretty excited that are consigned or, or uh, planning to consign. I know we're running ads uh, for the consignment deadline on, on the Western Ag Network. Uh, I, I guess as we watch this cash cattle market firm up as we have this week, uh, we're hopeful that these prices uh, will, will continue to stay in line with this week's sale yeah that's right that, and that's 
that's what we need. We we need our feeders to be able to, to, to make some money and pass that profit back through the cow-calf guy. Um, you know, we need that live board to be trickling up. We need corn to stay in check, and that, that would help everybody in the chain. Um, you know, we, we're blessed with the fact that we produce the world's superfood and, and the greatest protein that there is, and we're blessed with a demand that, that, that is bigger than we've ever seen both domestically and internationally. Um, you know, we need to get more cattle dead. We, we're facing challenges with hook space. We're facing challenges with efficiencies, being able to run at full, full capacity, mostly due to labor issues and, and the plants. But, you know, if, if we can, as we work through the slug of cattle and, and we've turned the corner on that, and I think that's part of the optimism you're seeing is because we are decreasing the, the cow herd as an overall statement. And I mean, we're going to put more value on these calves as move forward exactly where that plays out and exactly how the drought may play into it the feed cost you know is a little bit of everybody's guess if i had a whole year i guess life would be easy but you know we all got to kind of face our way through that and do what we can but you know there is an opportunity here and i'm not an expert at it but you know when the, when the board's giving us some signs like this and you have an opportunity to lock some prices in might be a good time to call and talk to a guy that can help you with your risk management you know search out a professional there to help too a lot of my guys sell their calves early in the spring or early in the summer and then deliver in the fall, but they, they might take a position on the board with a feeder calf contract or something to help protect those levels, you know, to let them make up their mind. I, you know, it, it's a risky gamble either way, but, you know, work with a professional and it might be, this might be one of the years you got to think outside the box. I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us here today after a very long one-day sale. Uh, any last uh, tidbit you would just like to share with our audience uh, here today as we wrap up the first big uh, video sale of the summer season? You know, the, the biggest thing that I would tell, especially as a seller, is, is put your buyer's hat on. And, and, and you know, if, if we want to maximize the dollars we can, you can sit here and watch our video and analyze our data. If you want to put more dollars in your pocket, you got to make your calves more valuable. And it is clear to see that if you will do those steps like uh, solid vaccination programs, if you have the ability to wean your calves, you know, if, if you can market, you know, separately, maybe some of them outliers and, and clean up the uniformity within your calf crop. You know, if you're faced with a drought condition and you've got to cull some cows, that would be a good time to think about some of them. Some of them that throw them off colors or wild animals or Want, you know, those kind of things, the hard decisions that have to be made for long-term making things better. But look hard into what you're doing in your operation because, I mean, there's times that I'm seeing $100 a head, $150 a head in cattle that are selling of the same basic quality and of the same delivery windows, the same regions that are different values because of the programs, whether it's vaccinations, genetics, or third-party uh, verified programs to give the buyer some flexibility. This is a year to sharpen your pencil and, and really think about it. If, if you want to maximize the most you can, you got to think about having a product that's in demand. And, and this, is a, this is a prime year to, to, to be able to cash in on that if you're willing to do that kind of work or if you have that flexibility in your operation. Well, again, Clint Barry, thank you so much for joining us here today. A little recap of the Corn Bell Classic Superior Livestock Video Auction Sale, the real first test of the calf market here in 2021. Thanks for joining us and drive safe, Clint. All right, thank you. Still to come here on the podcast, we will be joined by U.S. Senator Steve Daines discussing multiple issues impacting U.S. agriculture.
We'll be right back after these words. I'm Cindy Johnson, Vice President of Montana Farm Bureau. Our organization finished strong in this recent legislative session with 100% of the bills that negatively impact agriculture killed and over 90% that benefit ag passing. Montana's number one industry was represented through the Montana Farm Bureau and agriculture succeeded with good policies through legislation. This hybrid session allowed Farm Bureau members to participate near and far from Helena. Thank you to hardworking legislators and MSBF members for their grassroots advocacy. Montana Farm Bureau, we care for the country. Joining us here on the phone from Washington, D.C. is U.S. Senator Steve Daines. Senator Daines, how are things out in the Beltway this afternoon? Well, it's, uh, things are not too bad here, but I'll tell you, I'm real concerned about those fires got back home in Montana. Well, very concerning seeing all that smoke start to appear up in the sky and uh, along with drought and grasshoppers, a lot, a lot on the minds of rural Montanans, a lot of resources being put towards those fires. But uh, we all know that it is wildfire season now, so hopefully everyone stays safe out there and no sparks or, or man-made fires pop up because if we can prevent them, that is the number one thing we need to do. Uh, Senator Danes, as uh, we talk here today, there's a lot on producers' minds aside from drought uh, and other issues impacting the state's number one industry. Just a few weeks ago, I had an interview with the Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Vilsack, and he was touting the president's plans of uh, creating more rural infrastructure and revitalizing rural America. But in order to pay for that plan, he plans to tax the, the wealthy. But with that, there's a promise from USDA to not uh, tax or do away with the stepped-up basis, meaning passing on the family farmer ranch to the next generation. Uh, what is your take on uh, USDA's promise to uh, not implement a uh, death tax on farmers and ranchers? Well, I mean, first of all, I think the death tax is the, the most immoral tax on the books. Uh, I think we should permanently eliminate the death tax, not increase it. I've got a bill to do that. But, you know, in Washington, D.C., you have to be careful, Lane. You know, talk can be pretty cheap, and we've got to hold folks accountable to make sure that gets put into action because this would be a direct threat on the generational handoffs of Montana's farms and ranches, eliminating the step-up basis. Uh, they're talking about taking the exemptions down to a million dollars per person. And with the, with the significant increase we're seeing in land prices across Montana, home prices, I'm afraid our farmers and ranchers will be caught right in the crosshairs there of these generational handouts. So that's a fight we got going on back here, and we'll keep you updated as this continues to develop. Now, also, there's quite a lot of legislation popping up over the past few years uh, dealing with the impact that the big four packers may be having on the meat markets. There's an ongoing Department of Justice investigation, uh, a lot of bills uh, looking at trying to keep them in line. Uh, what, what are you hearing and what are some of the bills that uh, you are a part of out there in D.C.? Well, first of all, Montana families are paying more for beef at the grocery store while our Montana ranchers are making less on their cattle. You know, these four large meatpacking companies, they control over 80% of the processing market. They've got ties uh, to you know, international um, holdings as well. And so you know, their interests don't align with our producers' interests. And the big meat packers have been profiting, profiting at the expense of our local ranchers for way too long. So we're working a couple of fronts here. One 
is the efforts to to continue to press the Department of Justice to fully investigate, use full, full subpoena powers, investigating price fixing, market demulation within the packing industry. And then we also need to increase meat processing capacity in Montana. I was out in eastern Montana a few weeks ago, got to tour eastern Montana meats there in Sydney. Nice to see another processor there uh, standing up an operation in our state. And so we're fighting to get the regulations reduced while at the same time maintaining food safety so we can start seeing more you know, cross state lines kinds of, uh, of activity with processed beef. Uh, and, uh, and I'm also working on a bill here that would uh, continue fighting for fair prices for Montana ranchers. There's a bill working here, a bipartisan bill. So there's a lot of activity going on there. I'm hearing a lot from Montana, Montana that we've got to do something here because uh, these spreads between the uh, the hoof price and the, um, the the cut price are just far too great. Now, Senator, I had a rancher call me this morning uh, asking about all, all of the efforts going on in Washington, D.C. And, and all the bipartisan activity out there. This was the big talk at stock growers and Farm Bureau meetings last week in Great Falls and Lewistown. And, and the number one question that these ranchers are asking me, just because we talk about it all the time, is, is this just fluff legislation? Is it just uh, folks putting out legislation just to kind of please the crowd? What's your response to that? And how does this legislation actually get passed? Yeah. Well, first of all, is it fluff? The answer is no. And I don't, I don't, uh, I don't fault the farmers and ranchers out there wondering because DC can be full of fluff and press releases and, and lack substance. But, but uh, uh, no, we, this is a, this is a full court press. Uh, you know, when you, when you take the Department of Justice with full subpoena powers here to get into these price fixing, th- there's enough Republicans and Democrats here now, both sides of the aisle, uh, that believe something has got to be done. And I think we also have to uh, reform the Packers and Stockyard Act. You know, it goes back uh, decades, and uh, it, it needs to be updated as well. So something's got to be done, Lane, because if we don't, we're going to start seeing uh, these family uh, cow-calf operations lost, and we cannot let that happen. Now, Senator, I was in Austin, Texas in January of 2020, and that's when President Trump announced his repeal and replacement rule for the Obama's, uh, the Obama administration's 2015 Waters of the U.S. rule. Well, it seems with the change in uh, leadership at the White House, that rule is being resurrected. Uh, what, what should folks know about this, and what are some of the efforts that you and your team are working on to make sure that farmers and ranchers who had a lot of input on that replacement rule are heard in the Biden administration? Yeah, I'll tell you what, Lane, I feel like this is uh, watching a, a bad movie again. I remember the days of the Obama administration, we were fighting back against the waters of the U.S. WOTUS. Uh, and the bottom line is that we can protect Montana water. We can support Montana ag. We can protect property rights without these heavy-handed regulations from D.C. We don't need to go back to Obama's regs. President Trump got that clarified. We were on the right path, and now we've got President Biden want to take us back to the Obama years. It would literally insert the federal government into uh, regulating a dry ditch, literally would require uh, farmers, ranchers to perhaps have to get permits if they're pulling weeds along a ditch or, or, or putting a fence up along a ditch. That is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, the best stewards of the lands in Montana are farmers and our ranchers because it's in their best interest to make sure they protect their water and their waterways. So I've got a resolution that I've introduced that would urge the Biden administration to not reverse course and go back to Obama's waters of the U.S. But I'll tell you, it's going to be a battle back here. 
uh, sadly, some of these uh, radical environmental groups uh, have the ears of many senators and many members of Congress. And that's the battle we've got right now is trust the common sense of rural America. Don't listen to these radical environmental groups that want to take over rural America. Now, we have seen an uptick in pulse crop prices over the past few weeks, as we have seen in, in, in other uh, wheat and, and, and other grain prices as well. Last time you and I did a TV broadcast from your office in Washington, D.C., was the day that President Trump hand-delivered a letter that you had wrote to the Prime Minister of India, urging India to open up access for pulse crops here from Montana and across the nation. What is that looking like as India is being ravaged by the uh, pandemic? Uh, obviously, their their pulse harvests have not been great. What is the trade outlook for pulse growers in, in that India market? Any update there? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, I, I think one of the uh, one of the uh, undertold stories is is the importance of India in terms of relation with the United States in so many areas, whether it's technology, national security, but particularly for trade. I had dinner, in fact, with uh, the Indian ambassador of the United States at his residence here in Washington, D.C. a couple of months ago, where we, we talked about this. And, in fact, I hope to get over to India and have a face-to-face conversation and bring this issue of, of getting access for our pulse crops into, into India. What happened, Lane, of course, India got hit severely with the COVID pandemic in the last uh, 90 days. And so we're going to have to allow that to, uh, to simmer down. That's the number one focus right now is to get India back on its feet post-pandemic. But uh, we're continuing to lay the groundwork here. I'm looking forward to a visit to India. I've been talking with some of our post-crop growers back in Montana that I think sometimes the best way to, uh, to get something done there is show up. And I'm planning to do that here once uh, travel opens up. Well, Cinder, I know uh, your team's probably, uh, I just got a text. There we go. I know you need to wrap up there, but uh, how? Uh, what, what are some last comments you would just like to share with our listeners today? Yeah, well, I, I think for many who are listening today, uh, the greatest concern over everything is just the drought we have in, in Montana. Uh, we need more rain. Um, I'm going to be out on one of the fire lines here this weekend. We've got a couple big fires there, of course, one burning over by Red Lodge, one over between Townsend and White Sulphur. But uh, we need rain. Uh, we're going to continue to fight the battle back here on behalf of farmers and ranchers on prices, on regulations, to make sure they can keep doing their jobs. It's our number one industry in Montana, and it's an honor to be back here fighting on behalf of those uh, farmers and ranchers here in D.C. Thank you so much to Senator Steve Daines for joining us here today. Thanks a lot, Lane. All right, friends, one more commercial break, and we'll be back with U.S. Wheat Associates' Dalton Henry discussing how an agreement between the U.S. and EU is now opening the gate tariff-free on U.S. wheat heading to the European Union. We'll be right back. You deserve to work with an accounting firm that understands that agriculture is a way of life as much as it's a way to make a living. At Whipfley, we not only understand tax law, but also the agriculture industry. Our dedicated team of ag professionals can help you navigate tax complexities, help your farm or ranch operation with accounting and payroll setup, and assist with specialty tax services like R&D studies and more. So whether you need tax planning and preparation or traditional accounting assistance, call one of our offices or visit whipfley.com today. Joining us here today is Dalton Henry, VP of Policy at the U.S. Wheat Associates. And Dalton, some good news for not only the U.S. wheat industry, but uh, other parts of agriculture and other manufacturers out there because a deal has been struck to end that U.S.-EU aircraft trade dispute. For our listeners, could you maybe walk us through how 
an aircraft dispute trickled on down to impacting U.S. wheat producers first off? Uh, that's a great place to start because lots of times when we start talking about aircraft and aircraft subsidies, uh, people really get lost where that has such a big impact or has had such a big impact on U.S. wheat exports. But that's exactly the, the case that we have in front of us. And so this is actually goes back to two cases at the World Trade Organization. The U.S. sued the EU over their subsidies provided to Airbus, and the EU turned around and sued the U.S. over our subsidies provided to Boeing. Now, over the course of about a decade and a half, both of those cases were won by their respective countries. And in the last 24 months, both countries received the right to retaliate. And that retaliation is really the hammer that enforces WTO rules. Essentially, if you win a WTO case and another country doesn't comply, you seek the right to issue retaliatory tariffs. And that's the spot that we were in. Starting last November, the EU hit U.S.-grown uh, wheat, as well as a number of other products with tariffs in an attempt to force changes. Uh, and that, that's kind of the point that we got to. So uh, starting last November, we were essentially shut out of that market. We did have a temporary retrieve in just about four months worth of, uh, of a pause to allow negotiators to try to find a solution. We were coming up on the end of that four-month window. And then with this announcement, this it looks like we'll have at least several years where this dispute should be behind us. Now, let's talk about the actual retaliation that impacted uh, U.S. agriculture. Can you walk us through how that, uh, how those retaliatory tariffs, uh, how much wheat it impacted and the bottom lines of producers that were impacted along the way? Certainly can. You know, and the good news here is, is that uh, if we could find good news in a retaliatory action, is that the EU targeted non-Durham wheat from the U.S. And so it did leave us with good access in at least one class. Uh, the U.S. Is, is a large supplier of Durham wheat uh, to the EU, but it did catch, unfortunately, our hard red spring uh, producers in, in a pretty big way. And it, you know, it's tough to look at exactly a marketing year and say, you know, how much impact did it have? Because there were some buyers that as soon as, you know, about a year ago, the EU said, all right, we've received the right to retaliate at the WTO, and this is the list of products we are considering retaliating on. And so when a country goes through that process, they look at products that they think will be politically sensitive uh, and might encourage the offending country to change their ways and or come to the negotiating table. And we was on that list on Durham Wheat. And so there were some buyers that said, that's too big of a risk that we purchase a shipment and then tariffs get imposed before we actually receive it here in the country, and we can't take that chance. And so we really had some effect on sales going all the way back to about 12 or 13 months ago. But then in November, when they actually finalized that list, they said, all right, our early threats about which products are going to be impacted weren't enough. We're going to actually go through the process of putting retaliatory tariffs in place uh, they put them, they announced the list, and the tariffs went into effect the very next day. It was about the first week of November. Uh, and at that point, it, it pretty well completely shut off our hard red spring business. So if we just kind of looked at the 2020, 2021 marketing year, you know, we'll see uh, final U.S. wheat sales to the EU of about 220,000 tons. You know, that's almost 100,000 tons below the year before that. 
which was off about 100,000 tons the year prior to that. So all in all, you know, in just a couple of year period, we're looking at hard red spring sales at, at about half the level of the EU that they had been previously, just to kind of give a, a ballpark idea of the impact on producers. Now, obviously, uh, there is a new U.S. trade representative, Catherine Tai. Uh, she, I believe she she just recently traveled to the EU with the president or, or, or along with that trip as well. Obviously, the industry was watching the meetings very closely. What does it mean to you, to the organization, to U.S. Wheat Associates, knowing that the U.S. trade representative uh, really took this issue head on traveling to Europe? You know, I think it, uh, it sends a, a very positive sign as we think about getting back to a post-COVID world where world leaders can meet together and host these kinds of U.S.-EU summits that we saw this week. I think that that's good news for us, right? More than 50% of our wheat exported on an annual basis. Uh, we need negotiators that can and are willing to make trade and market access uh, for American products a priority. And it's clear that the administration did that this past week. You know, and this was an issue that uh, that Ambassador Tai talked about even going back to her confirmation hearing uh, back a couple of months ago, saying uh, in, in somewhat witty fashion that she would very much like to land the plane on this dispute. And so it, it's good to see that while not quite permanent, you know, this is essentially a five-year suspension while they agree to work on bigger negotiations around rules for aircraft subsidies. Uh, is a long-term solution that gets us out of this, well, we're going to extend for four months, or you know, what will we do when we come up on that deadline? Because that that is a very nervous environment for trade, uh, but five years is a, a good length of time and recognizes the reality that U.S. producers and our customers overseas need as much certainty in trade policy as we can get. Again, Dalton Henry with the U.S. Wheat Associates joining us. Uh, Dalton, any uh, more that you would like to talk on this important uh, news that came out today or any other top issues that U.S. Wheat Associates continues to monitor here in the spring-slash-summer of 2021? You know, I think I might add just one additional point on this one is, is that there is still an outstanding dispute with the EU. Uh, and this dispute does somewhat carry over to the U.K., now that they've more or less finished their Brexit process and they're on their own in terms of making some of these decisions around tariffs and retaliatory actions. And that's the retaliation coming from right now, both the EU and the UK on our own, the U.S. imposed steel and aluminum tariffs. So you'll remember back a couple of years ago, the U.S. administration brought forward a 25% tariff on any U.S. Uh, steel and the tariff was a little different, but same concept on aluminum coming into the U.S. Uh, and they did that on a national security basis, which the EU and the U.K. have both contested. Now, in, in each of those cases, wheat is not currently on that list of retaliatory uh, tariffs, but we could be. You know, the U.K. is currently considering it, and many other agricultural products are. So I think the, the highlight today is it's great to have the aircraft dispute solved, uh, and that should provide a good platform for moving forward to solve these others. Uh, but kind of the second takeaway is the work's not quite done uh, with respect to, to those important markets, and it's something that we'll continue to work on and engage with this administration on here over the, the remainder of the summer. 
Again, a big thank you to Dalton Henry with the U.S. Wheat Associates for explaining how aircraft subsidies impacted U.S. wheat producers and other agricultural producers who commodities were also impacted by those retaliatory tariffs. And thank you for tuning in to the Agriculture Conversations today on the Lancast Ag Podcast. I'm Wayne Nordland. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the LaneCast with Talkin' Ag, Lane Nordland. For more on Lane, check out his Facebook page, Lane Nordland Ag Broadcaster and NordlandCommunications.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the LaneCast on your Apple or Android devices. We look forward to joining you next time on the LaneCast.